He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. And welcome. This is Bruno DiGiulio on on this post-Thanksgiving weekend podcast. And actually, we're just going to do something a little different today. We're going to go into about a 20 to 30 minute primer for Fairgrounds, Gulfstream, and Oaklawn and talk a little bit about what it actually, um, what works on using our handicapping factors. Um, Put together some stats um, a few days ago and and they were really interesting because our first, second, and uh, first and second top choices do very, very well. At Churchill Downs, we closed to about forty-nine percent, almost over fifty percent, with first and second choice winning the, those races. Fifty percent of the total races were won by the first and second choice. Um, also, I did a study and I used, I wanted to use two tracks that were about as separate as North and South America, so to speak, um, in, in styles and surfaces, and that would be Gulfstream and Woodbine. Um, Woodbine is, 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 is also uh, uh, turf and synthetic, and um, for the last month and a half, Gulfstream has been all dirt and some synthetic. Um, but I, I ran about a month and a half worth the races, and what the interesting part of it was was, for example, at Gulfstream, 73% of the races were won by horses that had at least one or two handicapping factors. Um, and what I mean by handicapping factors is F1, F2, F3, FF1, FF2, FF3 are Zeta figs, pace figs, and closing factions. So I broke that down. So 70, 73% of those races were won by horses with those factors. 53% of the races were won by horses that had an F1, F2, and F3, and an FF1, FF2, and FF3. So, and or, um, meaning that either had the single F uh, front run uh, pace figure our Zeta pace figure for pace, or had them both. So 53% either had an F1, F2, or 3, or had them both together. As I mentioned, 20% was only horses that had a fast final, fast final fraction figure. So it's all on dirt. So of the 20, of the 27% that did not have a handicapping factor, I took out all the first-time starters, which there was uh, 17 of them, and accounted for 10% of the total races. So that left at about a 16.5% of all horses that did not have a handicapping factor. So 1.5 horse for every 10 that was a winner did not have a handicapping factor. That's a pretty strong – that's a pretty strong – figure as far as I'm concerned. Um, so when I went and looked at the Woodbine, Woodbine was almost identical. Um, 
Woodbine, only 17% of the winners did not have a handicapping factor. But here, here where it's, it's really interesting. Um, when you factor in scratches, that 17% may even diminish into maybe 8%, 7%. Because when you have a scratch, the next horse up would, would get a factor. So scratches could have something to do with that. And I couldn't incorporate those in. Um, so when you're looking at Gulfstream Park, or when you're looking at uh, fairgrounds, or when you're looking at any of our tracks that have the Zeta figs, pace and final fraction, only a handful of horses, or maybe two out of every 10, don't have a handicapping factor. Um, so just thinking that's really an interesting angle to look at. Um, and I'll put together also this on a, um, um, on a newsletter and to talk about it. Um, so Gulfstream, I'm, I, I, what I do is I, first of all, see who's got the, the factors, um, and, and start off with those and then. If, you know, first time starters, obviously you have to look at them in a different way. Um, we've got, we've uploaded already around 300 works for, for the Gulfstream, Palm Meadows, Palm Beach Downs uh, um, area um, workouts. Um, Florida is a little tougher than most tracks because everything is not at one track or two tracks. It's spread out over five different tracks or four different tracks. And all the training facilities across across um, South Florida and Northern Florida. Um, you've got Palm Beach Downs, you've got Palm Meadows, you've got Payson, you've got Gulfstream. Um, used to have Gulfstream Park West, but that's not there anymore. Um, so little things like that, you have to keep in mind when you're, you know, and as far as workouts, you've got more clockers in South Florida than you have seagulls. Um, obviously I'm being facetious, but there's more clockers down here clocking. So the information on clocking is really diluted and it shows up on the board. A big gate work at Gulfstream, a big gate work at Palm Meadows, a big gate work at Palm Beach Downs all shows up on the tote board. So you always have to keep that in mind. Um, I have a tendency to go against the grain and use my, my skills with looking, not only looking at horses on the track and, and actually looking at the workouts and, and the gallops so on, but I've really gone to the last frontier. It's taking a look at horses the way they walk and the way they move through the video uh, yearlings inspection and two-year-old inspections sales videos that we have in our auction database. Um, I, I, I think I, we have perfected, especially in our, on our gold member Zoom, we heavily go through that and we come up with some really good horses um, at big prices because we're looking at the individual. We're not just looking at a work. And, and the individual sometimes can tell you what they can They, they can't achieve by the way they're built. And it's hard to describe to somebody who doesn't understand confirmation and the way move, horses move and 
and the way they look. It's all about the individual. It's not about the pedigree. Pedigree isn't going to fix a, a leg being uh, a horse being born with a leg that backwards. I don't care what the pedigree is. I remember years ago, a guy, I was talking to a gentleman, a horse player, and he said, well, doesn't pedigree take care of that? Uh, sorry, no, pal. You need to find a bit, another game. If you think pedigree is going to take care of a leg that's backwards, you know, you, 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 you know nothing about horses. So pedigree only goes so far. And actually, people will pay for the pedigree. They'll pay for that catalog page. And that catalog page is like crack. It's addictive. People buy off the catalog page alone and not look at the individual. Um, so it, you know, you're on your own. If you do that, you're on your own. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be, we'll, we'll all be taking your money at the windows because uh, that's what parimutuel betting is all about. So using a more of a visual aspect of what that horse like and the way they move, they move and uh, is, is I, I think can be a great addition to that, to that last frontier on, on individual horses, uh, looking at horses as individuals rather than just a catalog page or a workout time. Um, and Gulfstream is going to have a lot of good maidens down there, um, working at Palm Meadows, uh, working at Palm Beach Downs, working at, um, at Payson, uh, Gulfstream Park. Now, there's an hierarchy. Almost there's a a class um, difference from horses that train at Gulfstream Park, from the horses that train at, Gulf, at Palm Meadows, to the horses that are at Payson, to the horses that are at Palm Beach Downs. The better quality of the horses are at those top three facilities, Payson, Palm Beach Downs, and Palm Meadows. You'll find a lot more cheaper uh, horses at Gulfstream Park. Uh, Barry Meadow in his book, um, the latest book that he put together, um, talked about uh, doing a study and, and, and finding out that there is no statistical advantage for a horse to train at the home track. And I absolutely, I've been saying that for 25 years, where um, horses coming in from training facilities are much more apt to be to, to 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 be the classier of the bunches. I've never been a big fan of uh, uh, other than Churchill Downs um, uh, horses tra uh, training there. I've never been a big fan of horses training at the host track. In fact, all of my horses train outside the host track. Um, and and Barry Meadow proved it in his book um, that he put out. And and I'll tell you about his book in just a minute. But when you look at when you look at Gulfstream, you also have a tendency, people have a tendency um, to um, categorize Gulfstream Park in different ways um, than, than other tracks. For example, the inside post position sprinting on the main track, the one hole. It's viewed as negative, but yet they that's usually one of the top post position winners, uh, post position winning post position uh, in a meet. It hovers around 22%. So I always laugh when I hear the talking heads talking about Buddy drew the rail because that's, the, you know, they didn't like the horse in the beginning, but they, they, it emphasizes their thought, but he drew the rail. And the rail is actually really good there. So 22%. So you can't discount horses 
for being on the inside at Gulfstream. But you can discount horses on the outside. The outside is uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. You better be fast and you better be able to get over or else you're going to be in trouble. That's what the skeptical handicapper does is understands the differences in, in each individual track. Um, and the skeptical handicapper is Barry Meadows' book uh, that he wrote. And I had a chance to, to look at it before he put it out. I got a copy of it. And uh, if you love to read about handicapping, Barry Meadows fantastic. He is, uh, he is not an emotional handicapper. He's strictly by the numbers. And you can look at the skeptical handicapper because he breaks down a lot of these myths that you get. Like, like for example, horses uh, winning uh, at, a ho- uh, at, the host, uh, at the host track. There is no statistical advantage, according to his study. And they looked at it, tons of races. So I would look at Skeptical Handicapper, and I would use that. And I would use that from the standpoint at Gulfstream Park, because a lot of people are not skeptical. A lot of people just go by the myths they hear. They hear a guy talk about speed and fade. Oh, it's a speed and fade angle. Well, why did he, why did he show speed and tire? Was it pace figures? Was the pace too hot? Was he going off form? Was he not right? Did he need to race off a layoff? There's a lot of different reasons. And a lot of them... That doesn't mean he's going to run well next time out. So with all the attention on, on, on TVG and, and watching TVG for the Gulfstream Park races, you're going to get fed a lot of bullshit. And what you have to do is separate it. And you have to compartmentalize I can never say that word. Compartmentalize it to understand where it's coming from. Um, I love being not a contrarian. I really want to know the truth. I need to know why a horse ran, didn't run well. I'll look at the videos. I'll look at the way he moves. And I try to get an idea. And I can get a decent idea sometimes of how and what they've done. For example, when Concert Tour got beat in the Arkansas Derby and didn't make it into the Derby, I thought he bled. And I'm damn sure 99% that he did bleed. And he probably wasn't right at all in the Preakness, no Lasix, no nothing, you know, and, and he didn't run any good. He needed the time. Look at Aunt Pearl. She bled in, uh, in the Breeders' uh, was it the Breeders' Cup? Or where did she, oh, she, bre- she bled in the race uh, uh, on Derby Day. She never made it back, and she was actually, you know, sold at Basic Dipton, and she was going to the Broodmare shed. So bleeding is pretty, is, is a pretty big thing. And that Lasix and not having Lasix on. But on the flip side, Maxfield this past weekend, people looked at Maxfield and I had a call from, you know, a, a media guy that um, he's good. You know, Ron Flatter, he's good. But he was, you know, kind of obsessing on that Maxfield is only two for five with Lasix off and kept obsessing on one race, the, the big cap race. And I tried to explain it to him that Maxfield got hurt at Santa Anita when he was a two-year-old prepping for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. That's why he didn't run in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And he missed six months almost. Uh, I should find, I think, yeah, right about six months. Um, and there's a reason why he got hurt on that track. And then he didn't run well in the big cap. You can kind of say, well, maybe he, you know, they, they, they went over there and maybe they shouldn't have. But he didn't run any, he didn't run. I think he ran a bad third in the big cap. And, but Ron was singling that race out as, as, as a reason not to like the horse in the, in the, in, in the Clark. 
And I think I, I want to caution you for not doing that. Stop looking at one race and obsessing on that race. When you obsess on one race, you put all your eggs in one basket. I'll give you a great example, maximum security. I was hanging out with some knuckle friends, knucklehead friends of mine, and they kept obsessing that he debuted for 16. I took a black magic marker, and I actually bled right through the page, too. I ran it right over that, that main 16. I said, how does this PPs look now? Oh, they look great. Then what the hell is the problem? Why do you have to go back five races and not have an answer of what he did there? Horses run bad races. They do. You just got to learn to either get over it, make them figure out that, you know, they're okay. That was an anomaly. Something happened. And for me, because he got hurt on that track as a two-year-old, I'm wondering, horses have like memories like elephants. And they remember that. And that could have been where he was like, I remember being here before. We do it, right? We go to a we go to a restaurant that we've had a bad experience at, and we're we're really skeptical about what we're going to get. And horses are the same way; they remember. Um, if you look at past performances and you see a bad effort on that track, and that horse has never run well at that track, I can guarantee you something happened there that that horse there was a reason that horse. And it could be the surface, it could be the 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 the, the weather. It could be, it just could be a lot of different things. Just they're not comfortable there. And, 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 but obsessing on one race and one race alone, uh, it, it does not make a, does not make a uh, career. And obviously Maxfield showed that he could win. Um, he was okay, even though without Lasix. So at Gulfstream Park, I really want you to, 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 Consciously look at the races without emotions, without prejudice. Um, you cost yourself more than you know when you're prejudiced and emotional. How, you ask? Emotional? I bet that horse last time out, or I bet that jockey last time out, and uh, no, nah, I never have any luck with that guy. I can't play it. Okay. You're just dealing with your emotions there. You're not dealing with the reality that's in front of you, the handicapping. You're not handicapping. You're handicapping your own emotions. Now, the the other part of the prejudice is I can't bet that trainer. A greatest story is when Sale By debuted. We were on the Zoom the night before, and I looked at her video, her, her yearling video, and she was absolutely beautiful. I said, this filly's going to run big. She's gorgeous. She's a great mover, pretty. You know, those horses run through a brick wall. You know, she was 28 to 1. I remember telling a buddy of mine, and he said, I wouldn't bet Leah Germani with your money. You know, I said, dude, put that aside. You've got the answer right in front of you. Look at that filly. You know, he doesn't know what he's looking at, but he could even tell she was a pretty filly. She won and paid $57. The exact that we nailed the exact that with another first time starter from the Clement Barn called the club. That thing paid like $350 for two. So if the prejudice was, I can't, I can't play, you know, Leah Giamatti, you know, you're going to cost yourself a big bet on, on a horse that's going to pay a lot of money with value. So stop it. Don't do that. And I want you to consciously look at a Gulfstream and do it that way. Now, I've heard a lot of people talk about I can never win at fairgrounds. I agree. Fairgrounds is a tough track. You know when I started really figuring out uh, fairgrounds? When I started losing my delta figures. 
My Delta figures and my Pace figures nail fairgrounds. Last year, I believe, last meet, we finished out, I think we're around 28 to 30% top choices, 50% first and second uh, 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 horses, first and second uh, choices that were winners. But also the Delta figures were winning 49%. You had to have the top two. Top two was 49%. Turf, dirt, whatever. So, Gulf, um, excuse me, fairgrounds is not as hard as you make it out to be. But if you walk into it with that prejudice that, that, it, that you got to be, it's got to be voodoo or hocus pocus to pick a winner at fairgrounds, you're already behind the eight ball. You've lost already. You're done. Cooked. Turkey on Thanksgiving, you know, um, maybe even a little dry. So you're going to get, you're going to get killed. Um, I get people asking me, how do you play that track? Like all the other tracks, you look for the sharp horses like we do on our gold zoom. Who is that horse? So a lot of these tracks, you don't know the trainers, you don't know the jockeys, you know, and, and you complain about that Then get to know them. Pull up the statistics from last meet and see who the top five jocks were. See who the top five owners were. See who the, the, um, the top trainers were. Start off there and, and, and look at horses. Like, for example, Louisiana breads, they're tough. But Louisiana breads will run for a straight maiden and run well. They'll drop down to 15,000 maiden claiming, you know, open, and they won't. So the Louisiana breads sort of have their own class within their own levels and they are a they are a litany of finding tons of value in those horses i uh, always get big prices in the louisiana breads so that's something you got to keep in mind too louisiana bread versus open louisiana bread versus louisiana bread um and the one thing about the delta figures the delta figures incorporate the class of the track that they run at so for example if a horse is coming out with a big figure out of out of Delta Downs, it's all, it's going to be adjusted by the class of Delta Downs, not the class of the race, the class of Delta Downs. What's the best horses that run at Delta Downs? That's why Delta Downs horses don't run well, very well any, any place else, because they're much lower class. Same thing for Louisiana Downs, they're also much lower class. So those two classes can't match fairgrounds. They can't. So I, 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 I kind of feel like I've got a good handle on on fairgrounds, and I start off by looking at my deltas and looking at the top two deltas. Let's talk about Oakland. This is the first year that Oakland's going to start in December. This is brand new. So we don't have anything to go on. Now, they just started training at Oakland. Obviously, they've had not run any races at Oakland since last May or June, whenever they stopped. and you're going to have Remington Park. You're going to have Louisiana Down Shippers. You're going to have um, other tracks around uh, the Southwest that are that they're coming in. I would look at horses coming over from again. Delta figures are going to be very, very, very playable, and you got to look at horses that are coming on from the better tracks: the Churchill Down Shippers, the Fairgrounds horses coming up from training at Fairgrounds, running at Oakland. Now, here, here's another point you're going to have to look at Oakland. Oakland with the weather in, in December and January, I mean, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about possibly some snow days, some ice days. We're going to talk about what the track maybe is frozen for a couple of days. 
that all affects the horses there. Um, my small experience at Oakland is that workouts weren't as heavily factor uh, factored in uh, into my handicapping. I, I could follow a horse two, three down the line and come up from that work that I saw that I thought the horse could run. They're that competitive of races. And also, you've got the Arkansas breads there. And they're far below the class of a Louisiana bread or a, uh, a Kentucky bread, for sure, or, or even a Florida bread. So those Arky breads are much, much different, um, much different than, than other state breads because I think their class level, uh, they're much cheaper. Being much cheaper, they actually also don't carry their class with them from race to race. They're very much um, dependent on conditions that 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 fits them well. Um, a good trip, uh, speed track, or uh, a pace up front. So those archie breads are really, really hard to get a handle on. So you can come up with some big numbers on archie breads too. And you got to pay attention when those archie breads go into open races. I think they're outclassed unless they drop or they put them in a spot that fits their class level. So Oakland is a is a total is a is a it's its own uh, it's its own animal, its own beast. Uh, you just got to be able to handicap it. So if any of you go in there doing the same thing you do at every other track, you're going to lose. If you do if you do the same thing that you do in New York, you're going to lose. If you do the same thing that you do across the country on all these races from fairgrounds and Gulfstream, you're going to lose. You have to be more, less general, less looking at angles and more individual handicapping for each individual horse. Understanding what you're looking at, what kind of race that is. Most of you don't even read the damn conditions. Read the damn conditions and see which horse carries the highest weight. Because it tells you that that horse carried the highest weight because of the condition. It fits that condition. Most people don't do that. Most people don't even look at weight. Yeah, they don't. They, they don't care. It, it, so to me, it's a, a very. Uh, listen, there's some bad handicappers out there. You can just go through Twitter and you can see how bad they are. They make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Don't you be one of those. Don't make the same mistakes over and over. Learn. You know, learn from their mistakes. Learn from what they do, which is wrong every single time, and 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 try to make up make up for it um, by being much more, much less generalized and much more individualized into the horses that you're following. Um, each track is different, but it still comes down to the same thing: horse flesh, and how well they're coming into the race and how sharp they are. And if you can answer bad races, you can make a score. Answer the bad races. But not with, oh, the trainer didn't want him to win that day. Oh, the jockey stopped riding him. Get away from that. That's just stupidity. You don't know. You have no clue. You know, unless you actually see the rider get off at the eighth pole and walk off, you know, you don't know. You don't know what he felt underneath him. And you can't stop a horse that's fresh and wanting to win and wanting to run from just running a bad race and getting beat 20 lanes. There's a reason for it, a reason. Um, 
And if you pay close attention, you'll start picking up those. But don't stop. Stop with the whole, you know, conspiracy theories. We've got enough of them in the world. And I would go more with trying to understand what is happening. Um, Oakland, again, it's it's completely different than any other year because it starts earlier and you're going to have to deal with weather. So be prepared because of that. Because then you're going to have to answer the question, why is this horse not running in four weeks? Well, maybe the weather had something to do with it. Oh, well, he's got a bunch of breaks in his pattern. Well, it's not that he has breaks in his pattern. They couldn't train on certain days on those tracks. Or maybe they had an ice track and they had to wait till they thawed out. That happened last year or a couple years ago. And it affected uh, Keep Me in Mind and a couple of other horses. Um, it was last year, yeah. Um, so Brad Cox is keeping a lot of his good horses over at Fairgrounds. And he's going to be shipping those in because of that weather until the weather starts getting better in, in March and maybe April. So you got to keep that in mind. And you've got to keep an eye on fairgrounds to understand Oakland. And understand Oakland, you got to keep an eye. You, if you understand fairgrounds, you got to keep at Oakland because horses are going to be going back and forth. Same horsemen. They're six hours apart. People come in, people go out, you know, they go back and forth. Steve Asmussen usually sends a lot of horses from fairgrounds up to Oakland, uh, even though they've got a string over there too. So it'd be very interesting to see this year. We've got Gulfstream Park with Tapita. I don't know how much they're going to use it. Um, and, and we'll cover in the Tapita later, um, as far as what I look for, which is, um, stamina in those horses. But also I still do the same thing. I look at my deltas and I'll look at the face figures and the final fractions. Uh, and I'll keep a record on what's going on so I can be able to, 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 to have a good idea what happens, uh, with the Zeta figs and the deltas on the synthetic at Gulfstream. Um, I think hopefully this primer has helped you. Um, and um, sorry you had to listen to me ramble on for 30 minutes, but I, I think there's a lot of good information there. And I think you can do well if you keep the emotions out of your handicapping and your prejudice out of your handicapping. Don't be one of those guys. Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com.